We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. In 2 Kings chapter 15, if you have a Bible... Let's pray one more time. Lord, as we open your word, I pray, Lord, that I would just disappear. God, speak to us. Lord, uh, just take your word. It's a living word. It's a working word, Lord, and just plant it in our hearts. Teach us these truths, Lord, that we would just bring you glory and honor. We would learn the lessons, Lord, that they were intended to teach us. Bless your people here tonight. Encourage them. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Lord, I pray, open our eyes that we might see Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Second Kings chapter 15. We read in verse 1, it says, In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoiah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done, except that the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Then the Lord struck the king so that he was a leper until the day of his death. So he dwelt in an isolated house, and Jotham, the king's son, was over the royal house, judging the people of the land. And so Azariah, uh, he reigned 52 years. And remember, as we're going through the kings, we're looking at the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel, uh, southern kingdom of Judah, northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, here we have this uh, king by the name of Azariah. He's also called Uzziah. And so just in case you don't want to get mixed up, as a matter of fact, he's even called Uzziah. Here in Second Kings, look at uh, chapter 15, verse 13. It says, Shalun, the son of Jabesh, became king in the 39th year of Uzziah, king of Judah. And we have his name mentioned here in Second Kings as well in verse 30, 32, and 34. And so, you guys, I mentioned this to you before, how sometimes we have different names. Um, you know, sometimes uh, my wife calls me Manny, others call me Manuel or Manuel. Every once in a while, you might even get somebody to call you by your middle name. Does that ever happen to you guys? Anthony or sometimes nicknames. We see that anyways throughout the scriptures. Azariah means Jehovah has helped. Uh, That's one name. Uzziah means my strength is Jehovah. And so either way, you know, his name, it it means God is my helper. I, I can't make it through life. I can't make it through a day. I can't make it through a temptation. I can't make it through a lie without the Lord, you know. And that's the way... This guy uh, lived his life for the most part. Um, Uzziah, uh, uh, for the most part, lived up to his name, how he allowed the Lord to be his help. You know, and I, and I like what it says right here. And remember, as we're going through the kings, it gives a synopsis. In verse 3, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. You know, and that would be such a great um, epitaph for our life. 
and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. You know, um, that's the thing that we want, you know, because God sees everything. God sees uh, what we do on the outside. God sees who we are on the inside. God sees how we are at church, and it's usually a little easier to, you know, play the part. God sees how we are at home. God sees the secrets of our of our subconscious. And I just pray, man, that we would have the desire to, you know, hear those words uh, uh, echoed over our life. As a matter of fact, today I was just reading through the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, chapter 24, and you guys, and I know you've probably heard this a million times, but it's so good to be reminded of, uh, of uh, what the Lord told the faithful servants. You know how the Lord had given him five talents, and he said, hey, Lord, I, I took your five talents, and I, and I got five more talents. And remember what the Lord said to him? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And then this other guy, he had two talents, and the, the guy said, hey, Lord, I, I, here's the two talents, and I got two more talents, right? Because he had served the Lord so faithfully. And then the Lord said to him, same exact words, well done. Good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. You know, and then the one guy, he had one talent. And the one guy just said, Lord, here's the talent that you gave me. You know, I knew you were stern and austere, and I, and I buried it. But I tell you what, here it is, you know. I remember what the Lord said to him, you wicked, lazy servant. You know, and I just thinking, wow. Lord, what words, you know, do you want to hear? What words do I want to hear when my life is over? When I stand before the Lord, you know, and I and that, that's one of the ones, you know, it's not based on how much you do. It's, you know, comparison to other people. It's never like that. It's just what has God given you? What has God entrusted to you? How many talents or what are the gifts? What are the opportunities? What's the time, the treasure? Whatever it is and whatever he's given to you, then you invest that into the kingdom of God so that at the end of our life we can hear good words like he did what was right in the sight of the Lord or well done, good and faithful servant, you know? And that was Azariah's uh, epitaph for the most part. Um, we don't read a lot of it here, but if you would put your marker in Second Kings 15 and go on over to Second Chronicles chapter 26. Here we have uh, more information on his life. And uh, imagine that, being 16 years old and being the king. Of Israel, wow! You know, sixteen. What were you guys doing when you were sixteen? You know, <laughs> you know. But he did good. As a matter of fact, don't you like what we read in verse five right here? Look, it says in verse five, and he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had an understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. You know, just seeking the Lord. And I always tell my my kids, and I just you know try to testify to people that I talk to. Just seek the Lord. Get to know him. Spend time in his word. Spend time in prayer. You know, as long as you seek the Lord, you will prosper. God will bless you. You know, and that's what he did. I love that testimony. Uh, look at verse 7 of this chapter. It says, God helped him against the Philistines, uh, against the Arabians who lived in Ger, Baal, and against the, the Munites. And remember, we saw that was part of his name. 
Jehovah, the Lord, Yahweh, helps him. Here we see against his enemies how we need God to help us against our enemies, the world, the flesh, all of those demons that are coming against us. We see that here in Uzziah's life, how God helped him. Uh, Look at verse 8. Also the Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. His fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, for he became exceedingly strong. I mean, God was doing such a great work. I mean, he reigned for 52 years. The only king that reigned longer than him was Manasseh, who reigned for 55 years. And we don't know how long, you know, but for an extended period of time, he was doing great. He really was. Um, We read as you go through this chapter how he built towers in Jerusalem. He fortified them. He built towers in the desert. He dug many wells. He had much livestock. He had numerous vineyards. Um, Look at verse 12 of this chapter. It says the total number of chief officers of the mighty men of valor was 2,600. And under their authority was an army of 307,500 that made more with war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. We read in verse uh, uh, 13, I mean, chapter uh, 26, verse 15, and he made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped and you can stop there even though i know you didn't but that's okay you can stop there and you know he was just think about that when you don't read that too frequently in the scriptures he was marvelously helped wow i mean he was doing so great god was doing such a beautiful work in his life right and and this you know and if you guys have been following us through the kings uh this seems to be a very common pitfall Um, that these guys, they started off so well, but then something happened. They They started going off track. They started, you know, thinking that it was them. And, and, and it's just so important. It's so important for us to realize that it's not us. It's not, you know, and we get, we grow as a Christian and, you know, we don't, you know, smoke or chew or run with those who do and and we don't you know we read and we pray and we're like so disciplined and and you know we don't watch those movies and listen to that music and you know we're just so like we're you know and and then we start thinking that it's us when all along all of us all of us are wretched isaiah 64 6 says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. None of us here. It's not us. If there's anything good going on in our life and through our life, it's the grace of God. But I see so many times people think, they begin to think it's them. And they're better than other people. And, and, you know, like I can think, oh, look at, you know, what God has done in the church. And, you know, it's so funny because, you know, I'm blown away at this church. And, you know, I think it's crazy, but it could be a smaller church. It could be a bigger church. It it doesn't even really matter that you still, you know, you have the temptation 
to think it's you and 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 the thing that I pray that we would never forget never forget no matter what the Lord does in your life you might become rich you know I don't know but it's the Lord and and here God was doing such a great work God was helping him marvelously but it says right here until he became strong and in verse 16 it says but when he was strong his heart was lifted up to his destruction for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense so Azariah the priest went in after him and with him were 80 priests of the Lord valiant men and they withstood King Uzziah and they said to him it is not for you Uzziah to burn incense to the Lord but for the priests the sons of Aaron who are consecrated to burn incense get out of the sanctuary for you have trespassed you shall have no honor from the Lord you know and, and then Uzziah you know he became furious and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. And, you know, God was using him in such a great way. But in the book of Romans, chapter 12, it says, uh, don't think too highly of yourself. God has dealt to all of us a measure of faith. God has given us certain roles and responsibilities in the church. And I really want to encourage you, don't go below that role, but don't go beyond that role. Here, uh, Uzziah was the king, and he was a great king. But he wasn't a priest. He wasn't supposed to go into this place and offer incense. That was something only the sons of Aaron. And then you have the Levites. And then they're serving there. That was not his role and calling. And he just went, he went, he went beyond. And so what ended up happening was God, God struck him. And God made him a leper. And here's this guy who had such a great start and great heart, so much potential, and look at verse 21. And King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. You know, so, you know, for me, I, I know it's a lesson. You know, we can start off great, but, man, we have to stay on track. Here, Uzziah spent the last, some say four, some say 14 years of his life as a leper. And if you were to identify the sin, what would be the sin? You give it one word. Pride, huh? They say pride is the root of all sins. Pride. Oh, man. You know, um, when someone comes and they correct you, and the priests were right on, you know, saying, hey, you're not supposed to do this. And when you get angry, you're like, well, who are you to tell me? I'm the king, right? You know what? You guys know what that is, right? That's pride. It's so much better when someone rebukes you, when someone corrects you, when someone tries to put you maybe in the place where you belong, where you sit back and you say, okay, let me take this to the Lord before I, you know, start World War III here, you know. <laughs> Listen, you know, when they, you know, say that, 
just take it to the Lord before you start, you know, going toe to toe. You know, the the nation of Israel was guilty of this. Um, Many of the kings were guilty of this. And it was even in the very beginning in Deuteronomy 32, verse 15, uh, Jeshurun, which is another name for Israel. It grew fat and kicked. You grew fat. You grew thick. You're obese. Then he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. You know, they, when you get fat back then, that was actually a sign of just, you know, being blessed. And, you know, uh, that when that happened, when they were like, kind of like, you know, at that place of comfort, uh, then they forsook the Lord. You know, and, and what it can happen. Remember when Saul was crowned king? Do you guys remember? He was crowned king. And when they first tried to crown him king, do you remember he was hiding among the equipment? And so, man, they're like, hey, where's the king? You know, and he's over here so humble, so humble. It's like, I can't do this. But by the time, you know, he started going through, uh, we read in 1 Samuel 15, 16, and 17, that Samuel said to him, um, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Because, see, what had happened was Saul was no longer little in his own eyes. Now, in his eyes, he was the man. You know, I'm the man. And, and then Samuel's trying to tell him, because you, you don't realize, you know, who you are, that, that, you know, we're just men, then what ended up happening was you were supposed to do this. You were supposed to destroy the Amalekites. It was the word of the Lord to you, and you disobeyed. And that's what will happen. God, help us to stay little in our own eyes. You know, Uzziah was straight out, full on, breaking the law of the Lord, and he resisted correction in an angry way. It's a very scary place to be. And it led to his leprosy. And so my encouragement to you tonight, if any of you in any way find yourself identifying with this type of behavior, maybe angry outbursts, you know, because someone tries to maybe correct you or tries to minister to you, you know, identify it for what it is. Maybe it's not even angry outbursts, but identify the pride and, and just, you know, the Bible says put off. The old man, and you put on the new man. Clothe yourself with humility. Clothe yourself with humility. You know, Proverbs fifteen thirty three. it says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness. I like this. Seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. According to Acts chapter 20, verse 19, Paul the Apostle served the Lord with all humility. And then over in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so I was thinking about this, you guys, and I don't know if, how many of you were here last week. 
two weeks in a row, like you're on a string. You're like, hey. <laughs> uh, it's funny. I think of the Lakers. Man, if they can win two in a row, how exciting that would be. You know, but <laughs> no. Um, last week, remember, we talked about how humility plus loyalty equals victory. Same thing this week. You know, humility plus loyalty to the Lord equals victory, you know. And so we learned that lesson back in Second Kings 15 uh, as we travel through. And we're learning from Amaziah. We're learning from this guy. Um, and, and then we read in verse 8, Second Kings 15, it says, In the 38th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reigned over Israel and Samaria six months. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his fathers had done. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. Then Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him and struck and killed him in front of the people and reigned in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Zechariah, indeed they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. This was the word of the Lord which he spoke to Jehu, saying, Your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. And so it was. And so now we move uh, from the southern kingdom, we move to the northern kingdom. And this uh, king named Zechariah, he comes to power. But did you guys notice how long he reigns? Six months. Six months. That's not long, huh? <laughs> you know, and we're going to see uh, this evening as we go through just this one chapter, it's going to cover two kings of Judah and five kings of Israel. You know, one of the things you'll notice as you read throughout the biblical history is the dynasty of David in the southern kingdom had a gracious security that was given to it. And for that reason, their reigns were typically longer. But the disobedience of the monarchy of the northern kingdom led to a radical instability there. There was a variety of dynasties, and with many of them serving as king for sometimes very short periods of time. You know, it's interesting to note um, how many kings were in the northern kingdom? Well, there were 19. How many kings were in the southern kingdom? There were 20. And so you think, well, it's kind of the same. Well, you have to understand that the northern kingdom lasted 212 years before they were taken away by Assyria, but the southern kingdom lasted 347 years, right? And so with though all those extra years, only one more king, what does that tell you? That tells you that there was a radical instability in the northern kingdom. And that's why this guy right here is kind of funny. He only reigned six months. Now, do you guys remember when you were young? You used to think six months was a long time, huh? Now, it's weird. I can't believe it's already, you know, where are we in, in, in the year? April, Easter's coming. Six months, it goes by fast. For those of you guys who are older than me, does it go by faster as you get older? It does, huh? This is not right. <laughs> I remember when I was young and we had our summer vacations, three months, oh, it was awesome. But by the end of three months, you're ready to go back to school, man, because it was so long. Now it's like, oh, I don't understand. But, you know, six months as a king is definitely not a long time. And, uh, you know, when you look at this right here, uh, we don't read a lot about this King Zechariah. He's guilty of evil, however. 
in the sight of the Lord that we do read as his father had done. And we read again in his testimony that he did not depart from the sin of Jeroboam. Now, remember, Jeroboam was the first king of the northern kingdom, Israel. And you can read his story in first Kings chapter 12, verse 25 through 33, when he set up a false religion. And you'll see how he, Jeroboam, this guy, hundreds of years earlier, was influencing all these other kings. And that's why I always, you know, and you guys have probably heard me say this millions of times, beware of your influence. Be aware of your influence. You may, well, I'll never know my great, 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 great grandchild. And you, you might not, if the Lord tarries, you might not know them seven generations from now. But you will influence them. You just never know. And you know, it could be for good. And that's what we want. But it could also be for, for evil. Jeroboam, he influenced all the kings. And so, you know, to me, when I read of that, it really uh, makes me want to have a good impact. But also, um, something that they're born into. Okay, in, every, in the northern kingdom, all the kings, they're born into this. Well, that's what we do in the northern kingdom. We worship the calf. We have the shrine there in Dath and down here in Bethel in the lower portion of our country. We've always done it. We've always done it. Well, just because they've always done it, you're born into it, doesn't make it right. Everything we do in life, everything must be tested by the word of God. If only one of these kings would have awakened, if only one of these kings would have escaped the status quo and and just tested this according to the scriptures. But unfortunately, we see they they never did. And the, tra- the, the transition, we read about it there in verse 10, it was kind of tragic. It's, it's ugly. Look again. Then Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him and struck and killed him in front of the people. I mean, he assassinated him right there in front of everybody. I mean, it's just a, a tragic way for a king of God's people to die. You know, but, but God knew this all along. We read in verse 12 that this was part of a prophecy. You know, the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Jehu, saying, Your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. And so it was. Remember Jehu, that guy who was a crazy driver? You guys remember him? He drove that chariot furiously. I wonder if there are any crazy drivers here tonight. <laughs> Before you were a Christian, right? Not anymore. <laughs> I remember one time I stole the car, and uh, no, I better not say anything because my mom's here tonight. <laughs> but I tell you, we've done some crazy driving. Jehu is a crazy driver God used him to wipe out the family of Ahab, and the Lord definitely used him. But once again, he wasn't sold out. He wasn't completely committed. He had a divided heart. You know, and I want to encourage you, man, to learn from that, because as a result of that, God said, you know, in one sense, you're going to be rewarded for, you know, the good that you did. You're going to have a king for for four generations, but in one sense you're going to be, you're going to be punished. You will be judged because of the bad that you did. 
And so the Bible says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. And if we do good, we're going to reap good. If we do bad, we'll reap bad. And so thank God for his grace. He doesn't give us, you know, completely what we deserve. But we have to keep these things in mind. And so four generations later, boom, they're gone. Why? Because a great, great, great grandfather over there, he didn't serve the Lord. And I know there's a combination of their, you know, choices, and it all works together, but... You know, that prophecy was there in Second Kings chapter 10, verse 29 through 30. And so you thought six months was bad. Look at verse 13. It says, Shalom, the son of Jabesh, became king in the 39th year of Uzziah, king of Judah, and he reigned woo, a full month in Samaria. <laughs> what happened? Menahem, the son of Gadai, went up from Terza, came to Samaria, and struck Shalom, the son of Jabesh, in Samaria, and killed him, and he reigned in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Shalom and the conspiracy which he led, indeed they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. Then Terzah Menahem attacked Tifzah, all who were there in his territory, because they did not surrender. Therefore he attacked it, all the women there who were with child. He ripped open. And so we read about Menahem. He, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Sh- Shamu or Shalom, Shalom. I was thinking of a sea world for a second there. Forgive me. <laughs> Shalom. He reigned one month in Samaria. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that his name means retribution. Uh, and, you know, that's a word that means uh, a punishment that is considered to be morally right and fully deserved. And so this guy. You know, he assassinates uh, the king in, in broad daylight in front of all the people. And then, boom, it, it comes right back at him. And isn't that the, the justice and sometimes even the irony of the Lord? Here's, the, here's a good, you guys remember the golden rule? What was it called? The golden law? Was it something like that? Do unto others as you would have others do unto you, right? And so he finds this out the hard way, right? And this guy Menahem then begins to reign over Israel. And we saw it beginning there in verse 16 of in a terrible way, all the women there who were with child, you know, he ripped open. You know, and I wanted to just pause there for a moment, you know, because, you know, I don't know if you can visualize that. I was, I was talking to my son about this, and he's kind of like, Dad, what is this? And I said, you know, I... I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I can visualize a pregnant woman there. I can visualize a a soldier coming with a sword and almost like, like targeting them. Like, where are the pregnant women? And then, and then going with the sword and just, I don't know, like slicing them, ripping them open. And, 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 you know, probably, you know, messing with the, with the baby. I don't know. I, I just... I was thinking about this and I said, Lord, what would what would move a man to such evil? And the Lord, you know, he, he just he always answers that with a simple answer. It's it's the devil. It's the demons. It's the it's the wickedness of the underworld, so to speak. You know, the demons. And and then I thought, well, and they're still alive today, huh, Lord. 
because we do this maybe not you know as grotesque and upfront and and you know you know but we do it and it, and it's almost the same is it's almost as grotesque you know the enemy's hatred for the unborn child the enemy's hatred for life and yet god considers this life you know the tragic thing about this is when you read the bible in second kings chapter 8 verse 12 the syrians ripped open pregnant women and then in amos chapter 1 verse 13 we read about how the ammonites ripped open pregnant women but here we see Israel, God's people, sinking so unmanageably low that they would do this to their own people. And to me, it's the epitome of depravity. You know, and I had some articles printed out, and I don't have them here with me. I forgot. I don't know where they are. But I was reading an article, you know, and someone forwarded to me an article in the U.K., where what they what they do with the babies, they they burn them with the trash, and what they do with the babies in in UK, not all the hospitals, but a lot of them, they actually were burning the babies, these babies to get heat. They're doing this. That's where we are when we when we think of the life within the womb. That's where we are as a society. You know, I was thinking about how uh, today, I, I was reading an, in an article today, because you guys know about Hobby Lobby, right? You guys probably know about Hobby Lobby. I, I, I heard it, and I just was trying to get a little bit more details. And But basically, because of under the Obamacare, what this uh, health care plan uh, mandates to employers is to give them the money for, you know, all the, 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 the things, you know, they, they call it family planning. And uh, and what they do is they require the employers to fund abortions. And uh, if not, if I'm not mistaken, I, I think it's somewhere like a fine of a, I don't know, $100 a day, something like that. And so for Hobby Lobby with all their employees, that would equate to $1.3 million. Um, I'm not sure in how, many, how, how, how long of a period of time. And so, you know, they've taken it to the Supreme Court and pray that the Supreme Court will see the wickedness and the violation of our rights, our our religious rights, our morals, our God-given convictions that we will not pay to kill babies. But that's where we are. I mean, our president is saying here, you know, um, this is all part of the of your you know responsibility. And and you know, we as a, as a as a church, we we've got to pray. We've got to get the message out. You know, um, that God sees that that baby. Once that baby is conceived, that baby is 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 life. It doesn't matter if that baby's been alive for for five nanoseconds. It's a miracle. That baby's life. It's not a it's not a fetus in the negative sense, you know. Um, and, And, you know, I think that it's one of the big things that when God looks on our country, he sees the way we're killing babies. He sees that. You know, there's a, a website online, and uh, I, I, I went there today. It's called uh, numberofabortions.com. And, uh, and where you go, and I, and I went to this website, and it has a counter. It has a counter 
So for every baby that's aborted, the number changes. And I was just watching the numbers just change. Every single second, another baby is killed. Every second around the world. You know, since Roe versus Wade in our country alone, we've killed 206.7 million babies. So far this year, in the United States of America, we've killed 261,000 babies, and 78,000 of those were killed specifically by Planned Parenthood. And so far in the world this year, just this year, 9.7 million babies. And in our world, um, we probably would know this, China's number one in, in, in killing babies, 8 million per year. After them comes Russia. And then third, it's kind of surprising, Vietnam. And then, and then we're fourth. And then, and then the Ukraine. But, you know, when I read this right here about how these soldiers ripped open women, I just, to me, it's just, it's just the enemy, how he hates life. And for us, you know, we have to pray. We have to ask God, you know, to have that understanding of the sanctity of life. Very important in our ethics and in our walk as Christians, you know, not only for the, 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 you know, the, the, the unborn child, but for the elderly, you know, to those who are neglected at times, uh, they want, you know, euthanasia and put them to death and the sanctity of life. God says when someone goes home, God will continue to use that person in other people's lives and he'll even work in their own life. Until the day he says, the Bible says, it is appointed unto man once to die. There's that appointment we have with death. And so it is devastating and it breaks your heart to read what this king did. We read in verse 17, in the 39th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Menahem, the son of Gadai, became king over Israel and reigned 10 years in Samaria. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart all his days from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. Now, you know, it's interesting. One translation says he resisted. He resisted. And I, and I was looking that up, and it, and it seemed to make a lot of sense because God's always dealing with us. If there's things that are not right in our life, God's dealing with us. Stop it. You know, stop it. <laughs> I remember re seeing a video a while back. It was kind of funny, and this lady went to a counselor, telling her all her things that she did and, and sins or whatever, and the counselor just said, stop it. <laughs> you know, stop it. It was, it was funny. You had to see it. But anyways, you know, with the sins in our life and the things that we're doing wrong and the way we might be mistreating a family member or just whatever it is, you know, the sexual sins or whatever, the, the things that God's just saying, I've given you the truth and I've given you the power of the Holy Spirit. You have no excuse. Depart from this sin. Stop resisting the Holy Spirit. These guys, they wouldn't depart from their sins all his days. <laughs> from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. So verse 19 says, Pul, king of Assyria, came against the land and Menahem gave Pul a thousand talents of silver that his hand might be with him to strengthen the kingdom under his control. And Menahem exacted the money from Israel from all the very wealthy, from each 
man fifty shekels of silver to give to the king of Assyria. And so the king of Assyria turned back and did not stay there in the land. Now the rest of the acts of Menahem and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And so Menahem rested with his fathers, and then Pekahiah, his son, reigned in his place. And so, and I was talking to my kids about this, and I'm sorry, I always bring up my kids, but, you know, um, I was telling them, the Lord started warning Israel now. Because in 722 B.C., God would use the Assyrians. He would use them to to just absolutely devastate them, to discipline them, to chasten them, to pull them out of their land. They would literally put hooks in their mouths and carry them away captive. They'd gouge out an eye. They'd cut off an arm. They just, but this is the first time. And so the Lord's warning them. He's dealing with them. And he's gonna see, we're going to see, and again, later, they start taking away territories until finally the third time, you know, they carry them away. And so just in case, you know, you had something... It was, a, it was a close call. And maybe God's trying to warn you. You know, really take heed to that. Here, the Assyrians came. And what did they do? What was the answer to the problem? Money. Oh, let's get some money. Let's throw some money at the problem. And money, yeah, you know, it's a temporary, you know, fix. But the real answer to the Assyrians is to seek the Lord. To seek the Lord. But you know, they got out of it for a while. God gave them grace. And I just want to encourage you guys, because a lot of times we'll throw money at things, and because if we have the money, or might even have the credit card, you know, um, that's not the answer. <laughs> the answer is to seek the Lord. And so we read in verse 23 about Pekahiah, in the 50th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekahiah, the son of Menahem, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned two years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. Then Pekah, the son of Remaliah, an officer of his, uh, conspired against him and killed him in Samaria in the citadel of the king's house along with Argob and Aria, and with him were 50 men of Gilead. He killed him, and, and he reigned in his place. And so this is his captain of the army, uh, and he, you know, gets rid of him. Uh, seems to be a pattern here, huh? <laughs> they need the Lord. You know, they, Israel, needs the Lord. And our country... Our country, and you guys, you know, I'm not saying we're Israel because we're not Israel. You know, when you read the Bible, you see the theocracy and you see the way that the Lord established Israel. There's no doubt about it, right? But I would have to say that there is something about this great country that was established by God under Christian convictions, under the biblical principles that are just scattered throughout our capitals. It's the foundation of this country in so many ways. And what are we doing? You know, what's happening to us? You know, we're not turning to the Lord. You know? And so, you know, I don't know how a revival can necessarily, 
really happen? You know, it's got to be God. It's got to be God breathing on our country. It's got to be God, you know, turning our hearts. It's, you know, it's, it's a big thing, you know, to think of it. You're like, well, I don't know how many people, 350 million, probably more in our, in our country. But I tell you what, if it began in every heart here, if it, if it really took root in my own heart, you know, revival, um, maybe. You know, we're always saying, oh, it's them, and they got to do it, and the ugly church, and all that kind of stuff. And, it, and it's true. There's a lot of carnality. But you know what? Um, we can't control everybody. We, we, by the Spirit, can control ourselves. You know, last night, Pastor Fausto gave a really cool story about, you know, his wife, and she's a, a, a gift to him. He waited on the Lord. He waited on the Lord, and God gave him a godly woman. And he was just talking about how, you know, when they're having, and uh, you know, struggles with their son, 18 years old, not serving the Lord, and he's out there. And he said, you know, that what, ha- what happens to him at times is, you know, he'll wake up in the middle of the night and, uh, and he'll notice, you know, that his wife's not there, that she's not in the bed. And, and, and he's just talking about how, you know, and then he'll kind of like, well, I know she didn't get raptured because I'm I'm still here, and I think I'm a I'm a Christian, you know. And so, um, you know, he would go, and then he would eventually, you know, he would discover what she was doing. He could hear the voice, and there she was, in her son's room, on her knees, crying out to God, just praying, two, three o'clock in the morning. When was the last time you got up and prayed at two and three o'clock in the morning? Me. I mean, you know, our country needs it. Our families need it. Here we see um, such a sad thing happening. In verse 27, in the 52nd year of Azariah, king of Judah, uh, Pekah, the son of Remaliah, became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned 20 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. Now in the days of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath-Pilaser, king of Assyria, came and took all these cities, Aijon, Abel, Beth, Maacah, Genoa, Kedesh, Hazor, Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, and he carried them captive to Assyria. And then Hoshea, the son of Elah, led a conspiracy against Pekah, the son of Remaliah, and struck and killed him. So he reigned in his place in the 20th year of Jotham, the son of Uzziah. And, you know, we don't have time to get into it, but if you were to go over to Chronicles, you would see the way that this king started war with his, uh, Judah, Syria getting involved, and then finally what ends up happening Assyria comes in because Ahaz, the, the king of the southern kingdom, Judah, hired them. And then what ends up happening is they are the ones that conquer Israel. Now, this is not the full conquer. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, it's just getting this like more. Now, if you were to look at a map, you would see the northern portions of Galilee, all these cities up there in, uh, in Naphtali, they're all taken away. And even here, when you were to look on the eastern side, you would see how the Assyrians were now taking more territory away. 
And what we find is that God, again, just warning them, what do you got to do? What do you got to do? Well, I don't know. I'm not a theologian. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sophisticated. What do you got to do? Seek the Lord. Just seek the Lord with all your heart. See, it's not complicated. It's not sophisticated. It's a heartfelt thing. You know, and just to make it even more tangible, not to be legalistic or anything, but just get on your knees. Get on your knees. You go home and you tell your wife, sweetheart, let's get on our knees together and let's pray. Let's seek the Lord with all our hearts. You go home, you tell your husband that. He may say, well, after the game. And you say, okay, you know, we'll do it after the game, I guess. But let's do this. You get your kids and you start seeking the Lord. See, that's what we need. Otherwise, this is what we're going to, we're going to experience. And so we read, in verse 31, Now the rest of the acts of Pekah and all that he did, indeed they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. And in the second year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. And he was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. You know what's kind of cool, you guys, is when you're looking at the king's uh, and the and the southern kingdom, the ones that that did pretty good, at least in this chapter, I like the way that it mentions their mom and their dad, their dad and their mom. It's kind of cool, and you know, I'm sure you know how important you are as a parent to you know teach your children, to train your children, and to be an example to them. Right, Jotham, this guy Jotham, he was a good king. You see that more. When you read Second Chronicles, it says in verse 34 that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. However, the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. And he built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. Now, we read about the high places a lot as we're going through the Kings and, and Chronicles. And those were those places where closer to their house they would have hills or sometimes it was a nice tree where they would uh, have sometimes the altars of the past. Now, they didn't always offer sacrifices to pagan gods. Sometimes they would offer sacrifices to the Lord in those places. And so that's why, you know, you'll see it uh, sometimes um, kind of in between even a good king you know, later on, we're going to see uh, Hezekiah, some of the other kings do even take down those high places. Why? Because they were all supposed to come to the temple. That's where they were supposed to offer their sacrifices with the priests. So anyways, again, he did good. Not a hundred percent. Probably none of us here are there, right? But here we see he built the upper gate, the house of the Lord in verse 36. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? In those days, the Lord began to send Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, against Judah. And so Jotham rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And then Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. Now, we mentioned earlier how uh, King uh, Uzziah had leprosy. And again, not really clear on how long he lived in the isolated house. But while he lived in his isolated house, his son Jotham, the one we're reading about here, 
He was co-regent with him. And when you read his story over in Second Chronicles chapter 27, verses 1 through 9, what you'll find is that this guy right here, Jotham, he, he was actually a very, very good king. And so, you know, I know we're kind of flying through this, just one chapter, looking at lives, but hopefully learning lessons along the way, longing for the Lord to, you know, one day speak over our lives um, that he did good. He did good in, in my sight. You know, for those of you here who are Christians, um, thank God you've won the war. You know, and I'm reading through the book of Romans right now, as well as my other readings. Aren't you guys glad that you're saved by faith? Aren't you glad, man? I mean, Jesus did all the work on the cross. He died for us. And so when we put our trust in the finished work of Christ, man, we're forgiven. You know, we are free. We're going home one day to heaven. So I don't in any way want to get in the way of the gospel. That's good news. Make sure you have your faith in the Lord. And it's so cool to know that. But let that forgiveness, let that salvation inspire you to have a hungry heart to win the battles along the way. You know, because as we win the battles along the way, it's going to make a difference in the lives of those, you know, all around us. You know, today I, I mentioned to you again I think it's so important just to close with this uh, before communion, you know, to reiterate, you guys, um, just a heart of humility, you know, a heart of humility, a heart of loyalty to God, loyalty to God, you know, start well, finish well, don't have a divided heart in any way. If there's any sin in your life, man, it's not worth it. Get rid of it. Come clean. And, and, and when you have that humility and you have that, that loyalty, then God's going to give you, he's going to give you victory in those battles along the way. And that's my prayer for you, that, that you would be a blessed church, that you would be a healthy congregation, that you would always have that balance between understanding God's gracious forgiveness and the way he has accepted you in the Beloved, but you would always have a passion, a passion to be a godly man, to be a godly woman, that you would hunger and thirst even after more righteousness. You know, the Bible says in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I pray that that's what you would do because that has been made possible through Jesus Christ. You know, to walk with our God. I pray we do that, you guys, every, every single day. And so Richard's going to come up and he's going to lead us in communion. Um, you guys know communion is uh, one of the two institutions we have as a church. One is baptism. And it uh, doesn't save you. But um, it's something that we do one time. We tell the whole world we belong to Jesus. We bury the old man and rise the new one. And the other is communion. And Richard's going to share that with you. We'll get the musicians to come up. And what that is is that um, 
we focus on the cross. We thank God for the blood and we examine our lives before him. It's an opportunity for us to really search our hearts and to, you know, never forget the cross. Really keep that as the epicenter um, of our life. All right. Manny McCarthy. Many of us can relate, right? I remember uh, Pastor uh, Chuck talking about uh, an individual that stole a camel. He says it doesn't um, prove that he's a, a camel thief, but it, it just proves that he's, well, it doesn't make him a camel thief, but it just proves that he's a camel thief. Um, and that's the same thing with us. Sin doesn't make us sinners. It just proves that we are sinners. Let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for uh, just allowing us another day, Lord. And, and as uh, Pastor Manny was just uh, sharing with us about the King's Father and, and um, how they fell short, uh, how they uh, uh, just focus on the sin and the evilness and, and just uh, how you tell us to hate sin, Father. Uh, and so help us, Father. Help us to... Uh, to uh, search our, our our lives, Father, search out so we're we're not chastened by you, Father, for uh, falling into those areas of sin, Father, that would uh, grieve your heart, grieve the heart of the Holy Spirit, Father. Help us, Father, to uh, to uh, just uh, as we read your Word and as we're on our knees praying to you, Father, that uh, we ask you to to search our hearts to to search out our lives and to point out those areas father that we need to lay at your feet father and and give them up to you father and focus on eternity focus on being the salt and the light of our lord and savior jesus christ and uh, being that salt and the light father uh, to a dying world to a dark world father and to uh, share the gospel, the good news with them, Father, with all those that you bring into our path, Father, wherever we may go, wherever we may be, Father, that we would be ready to uh, share that hope that is in you. We ask this in your precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.